Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Edinburgh, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our study of God's Word. We would like to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. On today's study, Pastor Kirk is continuing our look at the book of Philippians. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, as Pastor Kirk begins by looking at two Christ-like servants. We'll be talking about Timothy. And so let me encourage you to, to keep coming back to this podcast and share it with others. If it's something that you find useful, share it and let others know about our teaching ministry. But today, we're going to be listening to a message from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Let's listen together. Without a doubt, after Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul is the preeminent character of all of the New Testament. Now, he didn't start off that way, if you know the story. He started off as a very self-righteous Pharisee whose only ambition and goal, it would seem in life, was to persecute the early church. He was responsible for the deaths of many Christ followers. I love that meme that I've seen, and I won't get the words wording right, but uh, it just said, when it, the apostle Paul died and entered heaven, he entered to the welcome arms of those he was responsible for having killed. That's the way the gospel works. But he was responsible for the deaths of many Christians. But all that changed, as you know, on the Damascus Road. It, uh, on the Damascus Road experience, he came to know Christ, the one he was persecuting, and he became even more passionate about advancing the church than he was about persecuting the church. He became the missionary to the Gentiles. He braved opposition, and he braved persecution, not only from the Jews, of which he was formerly numbered among, but from Rome as well. He was fearless in the face of danger. For you see, he didn't count his life as his own. He now belonged to Jesus Christ. And while we often hold up Paul and honor him for his exploits for the cause of Christ, keep this in mind. Paul was not alone in his efforts. He had many lesser known partners in ministry, men and women who were just as dedicated to the gospel and its advancement as he was. Throughout the book of Acts and in the epistles, especially uh, in the uh, conclusion of the epistles, the final verses as he's signing off on those letters, Paul will mention other men and women who were a part of his ministry, who were partners with him, sometimes only by name, sometimes by maybe a brief but insightful detail about certain individuals. We all have all heard of men like Barnabas, of Silas, of Timothy, and of Luke. We know about those men, at least to a degree. But let me ask you, do you also remember names like Aristarchus, 
and Jason of Thessalonica. Do you remember a man by the name of Sosipater? Or a man by the name of Onesimus? Or a man by the name of Trophimus? Perhaps not. Very likely some of those names are strange to you. And maybe someone that you've never heard a sermon or a Bible study about. Maybe there's not enough information to give you a Bible study about them. But they were faithful workers. And there were many others. Some unnamed in Scripture, but never forgotten by God. Now, I said all of that to say this. Here is the point of what I want to say to you today and next Sunday, Lord willing. It's our key truth, and it is this. Effective ministry can only be accomplished when God's people work together for God's glory. It's a very simple statement. Nothing profound about it. Nothing earth-shaking. Nothing unique. Maybe nothing you haven't heard before. But a peg we need to drive down this morning and remember that you can never count for God alone the way you can count for God alongside and in step with other believers. We all need to have partners in ministry. And we all need to be faithful partners in ministry if we want God to be glorified. That's why Paul speaks so much already in the book of Philippians and in the book of Ephesians and in other places like Corinthians, the importance of unity among God's people. Remember now, he's been teaching us in this book so far how to live for Christ. He's been challenging that church and us today about standing firm in unity with one another, about striving together in courage for the gospel, about seeking to advance the cause of Christ, about living even supernaturally in this world. And you say, well, how could humans live supernaturally? How can I live supernaturally? And he said, you live supernaturally about forgetting about, about, forgetting about yourself and putting one another first. This is so countercultural. It's so counter to our human nature. Everything and everybody in the world is out there to advance themselves and their causes and their selfish interest. The people in Philippi lived with a sense of pride, being a Roman colony, being a little Rome, although they were hundreds of miles away from Rome. They prided themselves on that, that they, above other people in the empire, represented Rome. And God reminds uh, these people at Philippi through Paul's letter, listen, you represent an even greater empire than Rome. You represent the kingdom of heaven. You are ambassadors of the most high God. You speak for him. You live for him. You represent him. And the way you do that is to follow his example in selfless humility, 
to lay aside all of your selfish interest and live in submission to him and in subjection to him and in preference for one another and show the world what it's like to be the people of God, little Christ, Christians in this world. Okay, so with all that in mind, he now gives us uh, another couple of examples. He's already given us the example of Jesus. That's the greatest example of selflessness of all. And Paul talked about his own willingness to lay aside his life, if that's what the Lord has. He said, I want to be an example to you, but let me give you two other examples. Let me tell you about Timothy, and let me tell you about Epaphroditus. So we'll talk about Timothy today. Lord willing, we'll talk about Epaphroditus. I love that name. We'll talk about that next Sunday, Lord willing. Our text begins in verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is the word of the Lord. Certainly thanks be to God for it. After a number of verses talking about our duty as God's children, giving us principles, giving us precepts, giving us specific doctrines and instructions and imperatives about how to live. Paul now turns his attention from giving us precepts and principles to giving us a picture, to giving us some examples of what this truth looks like in a person's life. He said, I've talked to you about unity, unity of purpose, Unity of faithfulness. Unity of suffering, if need be, for the cause of Christ. Now let me talk about a couple of people who are doing that. Even after Jesus' example and my example, let me give you a pattern. Let me give you something to look at, someone to see. For you see, most of us learn better by seeing a picture and an example than we do just by reading commands, do we not? If we can see someone who is doing it, that's why he tells us about Timothy and about Epaphroditus. Now to start with, and I'll move through these pretty quickly, let me give you five things the verses we just read tell us about this man named Timothy. Five truths these verses just gave us. Number one, Timothy was unique. He was unique. Verse 20 tells us, Paul uses these words, I have no one like him, meaning no one of the same mind. Timothy is in lockstep with me in a good way. 
in a good way. He stands with me and walks with me. And I have no one else in all of our companions in ministry who is exactly like him. Literally, the statement here means, I have no one equal in soul. I have no one equal in soul. He's not just trying to mimic me. He's not just trying to be another Paul, but he is equal in soul with me. He was like a little Paul in so many ways. I have to tell you this. Some of you know the person I'm about to refer to. Uh, but there was a gentleman uh, that served in our Association of Churches a number of years ago, and he was a dear friend of mine. He was someone who had, had the, just the greatest Christian spirit. He was an encourager. He was a blessing to everyone who knew him. He led a very important department in our work, the missionary radio and TV ministry for many years. Previous to that, he and his family were missionaries in Taiwan. His name was Paul Bearfield. That name will be familiar to some of you. I love Brother Paul uh, so much. And Brother Paul and Miss Johnny, uh, had, uh, they had two children. They had a son and they had a daughter. And the son was also named Paul. And it was very common because I began to work years later at the same ministry he was a part of. And his name would often come up uh, as we talked. And by this time, he was in the presence of the Lord. And his son was now a pastor. And uh, so when we referred to, to Paul, elder, we would call him Paul. But then when we referred to uh, uh, his son, it was always little Paul. Little Paul. What? Are you talking about Paul or Little Paul? And Little Paul wasn't so little anymore. He was a faithful pastor all of his own. But he wasn't a junior. We couldn't call him junior, so it was Paul and Little Paul. I've often thought, you know, Paul and Timothy were kind of like a Paul and a, and a Little Paul. They shared the same soul. They had an equal soul. He was unique. Number two, he was selfless. He was selfless. Verse 20 and 21. Paul said that Timothy was genuinely concerned for your welfare. The word here, concerned, is not used often in the New Testament. Uh, but it's a word that carries more than just interest. And even more than concern usually conveys. The idea is being of, of heavy in heart of even to the point of, of having to struggle with, with a sense of worry. It's kind of like those of you that may be college students among us today. I want you to know, if uh, you left home the last few days and drove to Fayetteville to come to another year of school, or maybe your first year of school, if they didn't tell you, or if your parents dropped you off yesterday, I want to tell you this morning, they woke up concerned for you. They woke up worried in spirit for you. They woke up praying for you because they're genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul was always carrying the weight of the saints 
that comprised the churches that he started. He writes about that often in his letters when he talks about his heaviness of heart for these people, how he, he uh, languishes at times uh, in, in his concern for these others and, and their well-being. Some were being persecuted. Some were divided in the churches. And, and he carried that burden with him all the time. It was a tremendous burden. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not uh, a, a minister, a pastor, never been a pastor, you don't have any clue the weight and the anguish and the concern that a proper pastor feels for your souls. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of pastors out there that are hirelings. They're hired hands, and that's all they are. It's a vocation, it's a way of life, it's something somewhere along the way they chose. Maybe, maybe God chose them, but they somewhere along the way lost their heart. And so it's become a job and they're doing it because they don't know what else to do. But there are many pastors who carry the weight of your souls. And Paul carried that. And I want you to know, he's saying Timothy carries that also. He's one-souled with me, and he is also selfless. He walks the same path I walk. He experiences the same difficulties I experience. And, and he said there's no one else. In fact, verse 21, he tells us that even among the people that were there in the same place he was, not so much in prison. Remember, he was in a Roman prison when he's writing this. But there in Rome, and he tells us that those people, many of them, um, they, uh, they're not faithful serving. That Timothy is genuinely concerned, but uh, these others, for they, verse 21, all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't tell us, and scholars disagree on who the word they represents. Who's he talking about? Who are they that only seek their self-interest and not God's interest. And very likely, he's referring back to chapter 1 about those who preach Christ out of their own ambitions. I believe that's about verse, what, 20? No, verses 15 through 18. How they are not selfless people, but they have self-interest and they have their own agendas. I think he's probably referring to those people, those leaders at the church in Rome who are able-bodied and who would have been capable of coming as a messenger to Philippi to help these people, but they didn't have enough interest in Philippi to get beyond their own self-comfort and their own self-interest. Timothy, though, was selfless. He would go and do whatever Paul instructed of him because he had a heart for other people. He was a pastor at heart. Number three, he was proven. Verse 22 says, he is of proven worth. Worth has to do with character. It has to do with virtue that we talked about last week, a, a character uh, that, 
that wants what is right and good. And it says he doesn't just have character, but he has proven character, proven worth. Proven means it is something that has been tested and tried and has passed the test. In the same way that uh, maybe a metalsmith, a metal worker, will work hard to forge the right kind of steel and sharpen it and test it against other steel and strike the, the forge and strike the... Uh, what's the metal thing anyway? Would strike the, uh, uh, the sword against another object to prove it, to be sure that it didn't break, that it didn't chip. In the same way, he said, Timothy has been proven. Now listen to me. You cannot prove character in a classroom. Students, hear me. You can learn truth in a classroom, and you should take advantage of that. But you cannot prove character in a classroom. You cannot prove character in the safety of wherever you go to for protection and for refuge. To prove character, you've got to be on the battlefront. Character can only be forged through hardship by iron sharpening iron. That's what Proverbs says is the way that a man is sharpened and made strong. That's the way you prove character. And he said, Timothy's character has been put to the test. He's been persecuted alongside me. He's been hated. He's been run out of town. Everything that I've experienced, he has experienced maybe with the exception of a shipwreck or two and a few beatings in prison, but he has made every step with me and he has proven character. Number four, Timothy was devoted. Verse 22, Paul said he is like a son with a father. He treats me like his dad. He respects me as though he were my my naturally born son. In fact, I'll explain it in a minute. I have an idea Timothy respect, respected Paul more than he did his natural father. He was devoted. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this to the Corinthians. That is why I sent you Timothy... My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul, on multiple occasions, refers to Timothy as his beloved and faithful child. They had a loving and devoted relationship. Number five, Timothy was a servant. Verse 22, he was a servant. But notice something, what Paul says, the words read just like this. He has served with me in the gospel. Now, Paul could have said, 
He has served me in the gospel. He could have said, he has served the churches in the gospel. But he elevated Timothy by saying, he has served with me in the gospel. The wording is important. Although there was no doubt which one was the apostle and which one was the helper, which one was the mentor and which one was the mentee, which one was the father, which one was the son. Paul treated Timothy and others as equal partners in the gospel. It will always be that certain ones will get the press, that certain ones will be remembered and recognized more than others. But I want to tell you, the silent partners in ministry work are just as remembered and just as important in the cause of Christ as the Pauls and the Peters and the Johns and the Barnabases or all the others. You are not lesser in the kingdom if you are serving Christ. You are just as great, and I would suggest in many ways, I believe, even greater. The way Paul speaks of Timothy, and as Timothy served to meet the needs of churches and help minister to needs, his work carried the same weight as had Paul been present. That's why Paul on multiple occasions sent Timothy, and whatever Timothy had to say carried all the weight as if Paul had been there himself. Listen to how Kent Hughes in his commentary on Philippians puts it. The apostle Paul placed all his confidence in Timothy's caring heart and his excellence of character. So these characteristics, his unique Christ-like character, his selflessness, his proven worth, his devotion to Paul and, and to God and his servant spirit. Understand, all of these things did not come naturally from Timothy. It wasn't because Timothy was just cut out of some kind of different piece of cloth that made him so much better than other people. Understand, there were many reasons why Timothy could never have done those things. But Timothy was those things because of the result of the grace of God and the gospel of Christ in his life. What Timothy was and what Timothy became was a result of what God did in his life. And the same is true of you and of me. So let me go back and and make some applications, but remind you of the story of Timothy very quickly, the Notes version, and remind you where he came from and how he got there and what that experience means to you and me today. Timothy first enters the pages of Scripture in Acts chapter 16. Now, if you remember previous to this, back in chapter 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas make their first missionary journey. It's somewhere around the year 48 or 49 A.D. 
and they went to Cilicia and Galatia to preach the gospel there. In some of these towns, Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and Antioch, and you know that there was significant opposition to the Apostle Paul, so much so that in one place they stoned him and left him for dead. But Paul recovered. And he and Barnabas went back uh, to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, the missionary church. And some two years later, Paul decides to go back and revisit those churches that they started and to help and to minister to those converts that were now, many of them, just been saved for a couple of years. So this time, he takes with him uh, a, another servant, another missionary by the name of Silas. So Paul and Silas leave on this missionary journey. This is the way it reads in Acts chapter 16. Listen closely. Paul came again also to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek or a Gentile. He was not well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra. Uh, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And as they went on their way through the cities, traveling westward, the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Paul and Silas, and now this newer convert, Timothy. And by the way, it's quite possible that Timothy and his mother and his grandmother that are going to be named later were all converted maybe when Paul preached here on his first missionary journey. Okay? So they would have been newer Christians, though they were trained in the Old Testament scriptures. Timothy was well spoken of, and he joined the entourage, Paul and Silas. When they get to Troas on the Aegean Sea, where Paul has his Macedonian vision to come over, cross over into Europe and preach the gospel there, another person joins the group. His name is Luke. He is not named there, but if you read carefully in Acts chapter 16, uh, somewhere around, oh, I forget what verses, maybe verses 8 through 10, uh, you read and you know that Luke is writing down the book of Acts, and he has written these first 16 chapters. And when he's referred for 16 chapters, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. You get part of the way through chapter 16, and now it says, and so we sailed for Macedonia. And now going forward, it's we, 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 not they, they, they. And so Luke, Dr. Luke, joins the group. As we said a few weeks ago, this first church uh, that was formed in Philippi, this first church on the continent of Europe, was started by a gospel quartet. Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke. So these four men were there when Paul and Silas were thrown in prison, when Lydia got saved, when the Philippian jailer got saved, when uh, the demon-possessed teenage girl got saved, when that church was planted. It's important to remember that the people of that church 
they knew Timothy for as long as they had known the Apostle Paul himself. For Timothy was there maybe in his late teens, perhaps his early 20s. Fast forward 10 years later, Timothy is with Paul as Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And so he writes and he starts off um, uh, his letter to the, uh, to the Philippians, Paul and Timothy. Okay, you remember Timothy? Yeah, he's still here with, at my side. And he says, Timothy is here and I'm going to send him to you before long. Timothy later in his ministry becomes the pastor of the church in Ephesus, a very idolatrous city, and he undergoes much persecution there. Let me give you three application points about Timothy's life. Three things that you need to remember today and apply to your life. Number one, Timothy was not a natural born leader. Timothy was not a natural born leader. He did not graduate from some leadership university. He had not been to Christian leadership conferences. In fact, if you look at what we know about Timothy's personality, about what kind of, of person he was just by natural birth, he was never someone that you would pick out and say, oh, he's going to be a great leader of the church someday. He was not a natural born leader. Now listen, I said that to say this to you. There's probably no one, maybe, maybe one or two, but there's no one here that I think presumes that they are natural born leaders in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to me. It's not natural born leaders that do the greatest work for God. It's those that, that God scoops. It's from the clay down under the bridge somewhere, as someone has said, that God scoops the, the clay to shape and to mold into the people that do great things for God. If you're average, if you see yourself maybe as, as having a place in the pew but not to lead, understand, understand that you never know what God may want to do in your life. Timothy was by nature an introverted follower, more so than a leader or influencer. The Bible says that he was timid, that he was even fearful. As one commentator describes Timothy, listen to these words, to be blunt, Timothy struggles with insecurity with apprehension, perhaps even vulnerability to fear of other people and their opinions. Have you ever been there? I confess, I've lived there for most of my life. Paul writes to Timothy, and because of that timidity, and because of that introvertedness, and because of that fear, and that apprehension, and that insecurity, Paul says this to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to the words. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you by the laying on of hands of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power 
and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul had to evidently regularly remind Timothy who he was in Christ, who God had called him to be. Timothy, in many ways, was not like Paul. He was not like someone that you thought the apostle would have chosen. Remember, when he went on that first missionary journey, do you remember another young man that they took, he and Barnabas, a guy by the name of John Mark who was also fearful? And when it came time for the second missionary journey, Paul rejected him. And then, lo and behold, shortly into that trip, he meets another timid and insecure and fearful young men. But something in Paul had changed, and it continued to change. By the way, just for information, later on in Paul's life and ministry, towards the end of his career, he writes and he sends for John Mark to come, for he had become very profitable in the ministry of the Lord. Listen to what this, I apologize for this, longer quote, but I think it's so powerful. It speaks to my heart. I, I hope it does yours. Yet alongside these recurring clues to the fearfulness that seemed to beset Timothy throughout his life, the New Testament also records that he serves the church with consistent faithful, faithfulness and outgoing compassion. Though he struggles with fear, he refuses to surrender to it. How can Timothy keep marching forward in the face of fear? How can and should you and me persevere despite our own misgivings, apprehensions, and fears of failure or of others' disapproval? The answer lies in reminding yourself daily, hourly, even moment by moment if need be, that you belong to a divine champion who has dealt the death blow to the word of our enemies and who stays by our side as our ever-present protector. God's Son shared our human flesh and blood in order, Hebrews chapter 2, destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Whatever it is that threatens to paralyze us in fear, this same champion Jesus says to us today, and these words from Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Fearfulness causes our concerns inward, turns our, our focuses, our concerns inward on ourselves, filling us with anxiety and preoccupation to devise strategies to protect against the loss of our safety, our success, our reputations. But something, no, someone in Timothy's life is stronger than the innate gravitational pull that would otherwise keep his concerns self-bound, earth-bound, by grace, 
Timothy has found power to push back against his own timidity and to care more about Jesus and therefore about Jesus' people than he cares about himself. So despite Timothy's fears and failings, Paul commended him as a model of Christ's compassion. When Timothy walked into the church room, whether it's in Corinth or Philippi or Ephesus, it was as though Christ walked into the room to be among those people. They felt the love of the Lord. Timothy was not a natural leader. Stop using it as your excuse. Number two, Timothy even had some kind of chronic illness. Did you know that? P uh, Timothy suffered from some kind of chronic illness. Now, we, we know about his physical weakness and some indicators, and, and maybe there's one specific place that we, we read a prescription from, from Dr. Paul. In writing to Timothy, he says in his first letter, Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, I know some of you too well. You would love for the doctor to write you a prescription for that, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, the book of Proverbs says that it makes the heart cheerful. Well, we go into all the thing about how they didn't have medicines, all that kind of business. But what I want you to remember was Timothy was not in good health. He was someone who likely felt bad and suffered from those ailments every single day. And guess what? Although he was like Christ, although he was a faithful servant, and all of those characteristics that Paul said about him, guess what? There is no doubt in my mind that Timothy prayed and Paul prayed and all the churches prayed for Timothy's healing and for reasons known only to God. God chose not to. God chose not to. God did not heal him. He lived out his days with chronic physical pain and limitations. But he lived out his day faithful. Faithful. How many have grown bitter? How many have grown discouraged? Because the same ailment just continues to prevail. Let Timothy be your example. He was, he suffered from emotional weakness he suffered from physical weakness. And understand this, kind of a family dynamic here. I think it's very important, very precious truth. You might not consider this a limitation. Maybe it was earlier. But Timothy's greatest influence on his life came from his mother and his grandmother. His mother, we would call it Eunice, uh, excuse me, uh, Eunice, but uh, in the language here, it was pronounced Eunice, Eunice. His mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. 
We all know about the importance of a father's influence. There is no substitute for it, especially in a son's life. But I want you to know that is not an excuse. And that is not something that should limit your commitment as a mother, a grandmother, a grandfather. If whatever reason, if God has seen fit for you not to have a father on the scene during your formative years, don't give up. The Bible tells us one thing about his father, and it's used to contrast him with the mother and grandmother. Six words about Timothy's father. But he was a Greek. And the way it says that in contrast to his mother, the contrast is not just race or ethnicity, but it is a spiritual distinction that is made. He was not a believer. And so Timothy's mother and grandmother took over the spiritual nurturing of this boy. And they taught him so well on the scriptures. The Bible tells us that in Paul's letters to Timothy, that they taught him the holy scriptures, the scriptures that would make him wise unto salvation. So he had been, he had been well nurtured and taught the Bible so that when Paul came to town preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he and his mother and his grandmother recognized the Messiah and were saved. By the way, what were the scriptures that they taught him? Did they teach him the gospel of Jesus? No, they didn't have that. This was before the gospels were written down. Did they teach him other epistles in the New Testament? No. All they had was Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament. I've heard people say, even recently, I'm not sure why the Lord even gave us the Old Testament. It's hard to understand. It's discouraging. There's all kinds of bloodshed and bad things that you can't even read some of those verses in church because they're too embarrassing. I don't know why God gave us the Old Testament. I don't like the Old Testament. Listen, I know preachers that won't touch the Old Testament. They'll only preach out of the New. But can I say this to you? Without the Old Testament, the New Testament is pointless. Without the law, by the way, Paul didn't do away with all the law. The law could not save. But now that you're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, the law is your way of life. The moral law of God is not done away with. And the Old Testament sets the stage. It's what teaches us and shows us our need of a Savior. And people say, well, I just can't find the gospel in the Old Testament. Well, listen, you just need to open your eyes and look. The Old Testament is full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't give him the name Jesus, but he's there. 
He's all through it. And those are the verses that Timothy was nurtured on. And now, even as he is traveling with Paul and serving, he still doesn't have the gospel. and He can't turn to John 3.16. It's not been written down yet. But he has the truth. Teach your children the word of God. Moms and dads, grandparents, please, for God's sake, for your children's sake, familiarize your children and grandchildren so much with the truth of God so that when God the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart, they will recognize the voice and they will be saved. Father, thank you for Timothy. Thank you for his story. Father, he's such an inspiration. He's such a blessing as a leader of your church. But Father, thank you for Eunice and Lois, these two godly women. And Father, may we be found Timothys and godly men and godly women in our churches today. May we be faithful to raise up a generation that can serve you in these days in which we live. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.